The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good evening. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is the Thanksgiving edition of Real Life Real Estate Investing. I always know it's Thanksgiving because it takes me an hour and a half to get to the station, even though I only live like eight miles away. And also, Mike and I run the whole station all by ourselves. We like take over. There's no one else here. Things get crazy. The traffic reports get read less often. It's just total total chaos around here we've got candy yeah someone brought us candy yeah that, that you know that's never happened actually that's ha- happy thanksgiving everybody and while we're thinking about giving thanks let's uh take a step back for a minute from all the political chaos and remember to give thanks for the fact that we live in a country in a time that allows us the opportunities that we have in real estate because of one thing and one thing only, and that is rule of law. If you lived in a country, and I I could name several, including at least one that adjoins us, where rule of law was not quite so uh, respected, it's very hard to, to, to contract and to buy and sell properties and to, to do the things that, that, we do on a day-to-day basis to take advantage of, you know, real estate as a way of building wealth. But while we're giving thanks for the fact that we were lucky enough to be born in the United States of America and live here in the 21st century, we also have to remember that sometimes the law gets a little overzealous and that one of our patriotic duties as Americans is to fight the government when it oversteps its bounds. That's what today's show is about. We're going to be catching up on a couple of uh, cases that uh, you have heard of here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. We've talked about them many times over the last few years. And uh, we're going to get ourselves updated on what is going on with both the Helen Grabowski case and also the um, the Rise Act, as it is called, that which is the the sort of anti IRA act that you guys have all been so upset about over the last few weeks. And uh, this stuff is this stuff is. You need to stay abreast of it. You need to make the other members of your real estate associations aware of what's going on. When the call goes out to say, we need action, we need a letter, we need whatever, um, whether you're pro or con, you need to get up and take that action 
because if you just let this stuff happen to you, well, you get everything that you deserve. My first guest this evening is Mr. Taryn Hale. He is the attorney for Helen Grabowski, who has become kind of nationally famous as a as a uh, person who stood up to the uh, abuses of the fair housing community here in Ohio and is working her way through a case that could actually end up being a, a, a big deal for all of us nationally. Joining us by phone from his home in Dayton, Ohio, is Mr. Taryn Hale. Taryn, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina, and thank you for that introduction that uh, really empowers us to to stand up for our rights and understanding that part of our responsibility. Thank yeah, you. Yes, and 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 to think these things through because some of these issues some of these issues are even morally complex. So l- let me start by saying that you know the Cincinnati RIA and and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association and a lot of other organizations have have given you and Ms. Grabowski a lot of support on this uh, case that you all have been fighting while at the same time believing that fair housing is a good thing, that people people should, in fact, be able to live where they can afford to live and not be told they can't because of the color of their skin or the, you know, how many children they have or whatever. And And this isn't really about that. It's really not about do we want to be able to tell people that they can't live in our houses. Uh, this case with Ms. Grabowski has, has, has a lot of, of big issues that I think a lot of people aren't even aware exist. If you're not a landlord and you haven't had this happen to you or had it happen to somebody you know, you're not aware that it exists. So for listeners who are kind of sitting there going, who the heck is Helen Grabowski? I don't get this. T- tell, us, tell, us, tell us where this all started and, and what has happened. I'd be happy to. It, it is fairly com. It's, it's complicated in some ways, but it, I try to reduce it to the simplest points. Uh, my client Helen Grabowski is a landlord. She has a rental property in Conneaut, Ohio. It's a three-unit uh, family home that she's had for a number of years. And in 2008, uh, the property was vacant, and she advertised in the local paper. And in her advertisement to uh, offering the property, she included a, a no, you know, no pets allowed statement. In January of 2008, she was a, uh, she received a call from a young woman who inquired about the property and met her at the uh, at the home. And during the course of looking at the one uh, one of the units, the, the woman said that she had a uh, her brother would be living there, and he had a therapy dog and. My client, Ms. Grabowski, said, well, she didn't allow animals. This woman said, well, it's not, it's, it's not, a, uh, a, it's not a pet. It's a therapy dog. And that he had, uh, he had anxiety, and the dog helped him to sleep. And she said, well, that I, I, don't allow, uh, I don't allow dogs here. Uh, if he has a doctor's note, then maybe that would be okay. She said, yes, the doctor was a doctor prescribed it. Ellen then said that uh, she would accommodate the dog for a, a hundred dollar deposit. Um, the uh, she was subsequently tested by another group of people. Another another person came out to the property. Uh, this person uh, was just looking at one of the upstairs units, and she Helen asked if they had any children. They said no, and she just volunteered that she did not. Uh, rent the upstairs unit to people upstairs to, to, with children because the the noise that was made 
with the children running around is too much for the downstairs unit, and she had to. She actually lost a tenant because of it, so she doesn't allow children upstairs. Over the course of the next several months, uh, because no one rented the property, Ellen continued to run an ad, and she received other calls from inquiries. And she received a call from somebody about uh, needing a blind dog, or needing a sight, seeing eye dog for the for a unit. And she agreed to accommodate that for without a deposit. She also received another call involving uh, a request for uh, a young woman with a child to live upstairs. She commented that she did not allow you know, children upstairs, but the downstairs unit was just a, a little bit more per month, and it was a two-bedroom unit. Uh, finally, in, in, uh, she received a phone call from another person. This was going into August of 2008. And they, uh, again, said something about a therapy dog, and Helen was, at this point, kind of upset about all these phone calls and no one really renting the property. And she said, well, I don't I don't rent to animals, and, and hung up. Mm-hmm. Finally, in September 2008, then Helen received a complaint filed against her. These people were not actual applicants looking for housing, but they were testers from a housing agency uh, up in northeast Ohio. The, com- the complaint had two charges. One was uh, relating to the therapy dog and the fact that she had, had requested a $100 deposit. And the second complaint related to not allowing children upstairs. Uh, she retained a local lawyer back then in September um, or October of 2008. They were working on the case for about a year. And what uh, they the uh, they went through a process with the Ohio Civil Rights Commission that the claim was being prosecuted by the Ohio Attorney General. And the the the, the stance uh, point was that the housing agency was demanding uh, $6,500 that uh, be paid by Helen for the to, to resolve these charges. They also wanted her to take out a full-page ad announcing that she was uh, what the... the, the uh, discrimination that she had committed and basically apologized for it, and they also wanted her to attend classes. Uh, Helen did not believe she had done anything wrong, and she refused to, you know, she did not see how these people possibly were were out any kind of money approaching $6,000. And so she was, she was um, you know, standing up for her rights and refused. Um, her attorney at the time didn't felt uh, that there was no other choice, and she spoke to her, one of her longtime friends, who happened to be my mother. And then my mother shared the information with me and asked me if I would talk with Helen. And I talked with her, and I didn't engage in uh, hundreds of hours of research to really get to the bottom of what was going on, because I was really couldn't understand it myself. And that's when I decided to represent Helen, and that we were uh, we would fight these charges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the, um, to 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 to. to... Uh, just sort of uh, pull some of this out because a lot of people are going to be listening to the show and saying, well, she discriminated. I mean, what is the problem here? Pay the money and um, just just be done with it and admit that you did wrong and, and et cetera, et cetera. But there are some there are some deeper issues here even than was there discrimination. And one one of them that you mentioned is this concept that somebody can fake being blind, fake having children, fake be seeking housing. That's 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 what testers do is they set themselves up as a as a protected class that they generally are not a member of. 
call me up, try and get me to say that I won't rent to them, and then somehow come to me and say, now you owe me money for, and they call it damages. I've heard, they, I've heard that word damages, right? I'm, it's it's right. damages. But my understanding in the rest of the law is that in order for there to be damages, there has to be damage. Right, and that's that's where it gets it gets fairly complicated. The 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 difficulty was that the and the Ohio law was amended. It used to have a criminal it used to be considered a criminal charge, and it was amended years ago. and And it was designed to be a a, a conflict resolution process where you have a bona fide applicant who's looking for housing. An issue comes up, and then they try to mediate this between the landlord and the applicant under under real circumstances. Uh, unfortunately, um, somehow the, this has gotten twisted into now we have these, these uh, agencies who are sending out testers. And instead of instead of educating landlords or identifying problems, they've, they've turned it, it appears that they've turned it into kind of a, a, a money-generating process for them at this point. Uh, and what's really disturbing too is the fact that it's not that this is not covered in the law. So they're they're not they don't have a special standing in the law. They're just creating this as a as a, a means to to generate income, as anyone else could potentially. And that's where our that's part of our concern here. The um, you know the the idea of damages, and this this kind of comes out of a, a case out of California where an agency was involved with a with a landlord who was really committing discrimination again unfairly against families and after the third time that this agency had to send testers out to establish that this person was actually committing discrimination they became frustrated and they asked the court said you know your honor we've we've had to divert our resources from helping other people who are legitimately you know needing assistance to address this landlord this one landlord in particular who's now for the third or fourth time committing the same error. And in that case, the judge agreed and, and found and, and established the right of an agency to prosecute and on, its own, on its own merits for damages related to the frustration of their own mission and the diversion of resources to address a, problem, a continuing problematic landlord. Mm-hmm. And, that was, that's, and that's where they came up with the idea of damages for an agency, even where they don't have an actual applicant involved for themselves, but they sent out testers, and, and that was allowed. But so, unfortunately, what we're talking about in, in Helen's case and what we're talking about other agencies doing is that they're doing random testing. And they're doing random testing not based upon any accu- ac- you know, uh, uh, accusation against the landlord, but just randomly picking landlords to, so to hypothetically question them about whether or not they are up to date on the on, on discrimination laws, and what was really disturbing about it was that they weren't asking about the blind dog like they did in Helen's case, where she actually knows the law. They start off with this ambiguous area, which is completely unregulated. There is no statute that covers therapy do- therapy dogs. There's no statute that the statutes don't specif- uh, specify even anxiety as a disability. So this is so whether or not a a, a uh, a person who actually needs a therapy dog due to anxiety to help them sleep, whether or not that's even covered by law, has not been clearly established. But yet, this was the the front. This was the front question that they were asking people and in, in, in testing landlords on. Mm-hmm. 
and then they were somehow create they were pretending to create damages because of the testing that they were actually doing. But the testing they were doing was done before before they even knew there was any discrimination involved, and so they kind of had it backwards, as far as I was concerned, based upon the law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so to 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 continue the story, because this has been going on for eight years now. Eight years, <laughs> the, yes. The, Actually, the, nine years. But, the, uh, the local fair housing folks said, give us $6,000. Helen said, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not giving you $6,000. Correct. And, and, then, and then what happened? Well, we, went, we were uh, under Ohio law, and this is you know, somewhat specific to Ohio law, um, we went through an administrative process. And the, the and what we were told was this, Helen, and we were told this by the Ohio Attorney General, the Ohio Civil Rights Commission. So these are state agencies telling us that if Helen doesn't pay the $6,000, $6,500, then the state's going to prosecute her. She's going to be subjected to the potential tens of thousands of dollars in damages, plus under, under Ohio law, mandatory attorney's fees that she would have to pay for, her, for the prosecution against her as well as hiring her own counsel to defend herself. And that was really what we feel to be unfair under the Ohio law. But in order for us to actually challenge these, the constitutionality of, the, of these mandates, the mandatory attorney's fees, we had to go through this administrative process. And we went in before an administrative judge in May of 2010. We had a three-day hearing that was very, uh, um, very biased against Helen. And the conclusion of that was finally uh, the judge recommended from the hearing, she recommended that Helen pay $12,000 in actual damages, $10,000 in punitive damages, and then or eventually ordered her to pay attorney's fees over $80,000. So the judge's, this administrative judge's recommendation was over $100,000 in damages and attorney's fees that she recommended that Helen be forced to pay based upon this hypothetical discrimination to this person who claimed to have a therapy dog and it wasn't also and then to the, the the person who claimed to have a child and was asked was was offered the downstairs unit mm-hmm. so even though no even though even though no one was homeless or no one was denied housing and the, this was all just done by a tester the, the judge recommend it was recommending a hundred and two thousand dollars that helen had to pay we filed an objection to that which went before the ohio civil rights commission they amended the uh, and now this is this is the the administrative judge is, is an employee of the civil rights commission, but then it goes into the full commission, the board for a decision. In their decision, they they found that yes, they still found that even based upon the hypotheticals that this was discrimination, and they ordered her to pay uh, over uh, I believe eight thousand dollars in damages and another eight thousand dollars in attorney's fees. And while this drastically reduced the recommendation by the administrative judge, they made this decision without ever addressing the fact that uh, the, the horrendous you know, recommendation by the judge. And they still did not make any, any reference, uh, uh, reference to why, you know, how, these, how the hypothetical uh, comments or how the comments to a hypothetical pattern were actually would constitute damages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so we filed an appeal, the pursuance under the, our rights of the statute, we filed an appeal of the commission's decision before the common pleas judge in Asheville County, and that was before Judge Yost. And 
Judge Yost made a decision finally uh, in September of this year. And in his decision, we were very happy to report that Judge Yost found, uh, agreed with us that the hypothetical fact pattern involving an anxiety disability uh, with a therapy dog was not something that a person of average intelligence would um, understand to be, constitute a protected disability. And he actually dismissed that charge against Helen. He did, though, allow, he did, he did affirm that the, the, the not allowing children upstairs was, in fact, a, a discrimination, and he ordered her to pay damages for the testing, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, that was done, which was about $2,000, and then ordered her to pay attorney's fees, but not the, uh, not, not the $80,000 attorney's fees. He actually ordered her to pay around $6,000 attorney's fees. But he also was very, uh, under the statute, the attorney's fees uh, is payable to not only the state of Ohio, but also to the agency's lawyer, uh, potentially. And the judge found that there was no need for that. So therefore, reasonable attorney's fees did not include attorney's fees for the agency. And so it was uh, that part of it was also dismissed. Mm-hmm. So although we've made progress, we're still, uh, we have filed an appeal and we're waiting for the briefing on it to the, uh, the 11th District Court of Appeals out of Asheville County. What we're hoping to accomplish is we, we would like to have the, the court uh, find that the statute is unconstitutional because it imposes mandatory attorney's fees against landlords, which, we, which, uh, which makes the, the whole litigation unfair. And we also want there to be uh, more specifics provided in terms of the testing, that, that if if an agency wants to conduct testing randomly, then they should do so with the idea of educating landlords, not with the idea that they're going to somehow punish landlords and collect these uh, fees against them, which is, continues to go on despite despite the success that we've had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if we mentioned that uh, Ms. Grabowski is, what, 84 years old? She was, yes, she's 84 and a half years old. She, she wants credit for the half year as well. She wants to have credit for the half year, year yes. And, and then tragically, she's been through this process uh, starting with she was 78 years old. Mm-hmm. And then these, and the, she was told early on in this case she was threatened with losing her home, losing her life savings. And then even with the administrative judge's decision, it, was just, it, would, have, it would put her into virtual bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think for a lot of people who don't who don't get this, who don't get, you know, why is it a big deal that someone would come and fake being a tenant and fake a, a, a anxiety dog, whatever that is, because there's no, you know, real legal definition of that sort of helper animal. Why not just pay the $6,000 this woman has put herself through eight years and, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of worth of litigation for this. So so bottom line this for us, what is the big deal? If you if you win this case in appeal like you hope to, how why is this woman standing up for everybody else? What happens if you win? Well, why why Helen has stood up to it is it is you know it, it's it's just a, a testament to her constitution. Uh, she just really believes that this is unfair, that this was abusive. She does not believe that this is the way this country should operate. And that was the dedication that she made and the, the fact that she did not want anyone else to have to go through this process. Uh, and, and while she at times has, you know, questioned whether or not it was, it was the right choice, um, 
given the financial circumstances, uh, luckily we've been able to you know, reach out to other groups and, and, and have support that way. In terms of the overall success, though, is the fact that, that these, this agency and other agencies will, are continuing to do this type of gotcha uh, testing. And I, I've, I've called it extortion, and I believe that, that the facts bear it out. And we want it stopped. We, you know, it, it, the, we know that the agencies like this are still creating these, these they, they fabricate these ambiguous fact patterns and if the landlord doesn't give the right response, they're demanding three, four, five, six thousand dollars as a as a gotcha penalty, even though there's no actual damages approaching that. Mm-hmm. Which and, we, and what and right now we what we really want is a level playing field. I, the landlords that I've met who who are, are are concerned about abiding and following the law as as it's you know as as intended. They, there are areas where of disagreement in terms of what is a you know is, is anxiety disability or or other issues relating to pets and therapy animals, and we need to have a way that we can resolve these issues without this threat of a mandatory attorney's fees against landlords, and and we need to have a, a system that we where we can meet and talk these things out, um, uh, you know, fairly and not be. Um, not be subjected to be just being unfairly punished as the law is now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just looking to make fair housing fair. So the appeal has been filed. We will catch up with you as as things progress here. Um, I know there's a coalition of groups around the state that are helping out with the legal fees for Ms. Grabowski because, again, it's, you know, very, this is, this is not an inexpensive process, and she is not a rich woman. Folks who want to know more about the case and read the judge's decision and read the history of what has happened can do that at orea.com. That's O-R-E-I-A.com. It's right up there on the front page. Taryn Hale, I want to thank you for bringing us up to date on this really important case and for fighting it, because I know that this this is actually not, it has become your life over the last nine years, but it's actually not your life. So we do appreciate (laughs) all the fighting that you have done on behalf of uh, fair housing being fair for the housing providers too. Well, thank you, Bina, and thank you for your support. I I know that you've you've really taken this on as, as well, and it, it is appreciated. We, you know, the more voices we can get behind it, the better our chance of success. Thank you very much, Taryn Hale. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this with an update on that crazy law that you heard about that, that, that might just make your IRA go away. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Thanksgiving edition of Real Life Real Estate Investing, where We are giving thanks for being in such an awesome, free, capitalist country and at the same time remembering that it is our job to pay attention to what all those laws mean and what they're doing to us and to object should the occasion arise or in this case perhaps support as the occasion arises. A few weeks back there was this huge kerfluffle on social media because um, an article came out by uh, John Heyer, who is a a frequent guest on this program. He's a tax attorney and does a lot of IRA work. And it was about an act that was being proposed that if it passed, according to John, could just 
literally kill the self-directed IRA business as we know it as real estate investors. Now, things have changed a bit since that happened a few weeks ago. Primarily, there was a presidential election that intervened. And uh, I thought it was important to, to get somebody who is really, really, really uh, deep into the IRA industry and really understood what this thing was all about and where we were with it uh, on the show to kind of calm everybody's nerves about that about that article that came out. Um, joining me now is Rich Desich. He is the executive director of and co-founder of Equity Trust Company. Uh, he served as its chief information officer, director of compliance and risk management, and director of marketing. He's also an active real estate investor. And anymore, he's spending a bunch of his time in Washington, D.C., sort of monitoring laws and educating our elected officials about what this whole IRA industry thing is and what it what it's actually doing proactively, not just for the IRA holders, but for the country. Joining us from probably the Equity Trust offices in Northeastern Ohio, I'm guessing, uh, is Mr. Rich Desage. Rich, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, so, thank you so much, Mina. Really excited to be here. <laughs> yes, well, we're excited to have you. And, um, you know, po- politics or the, or the legislative slash legal stuff is not not something that real life lists, real, real estate listeners sit around and beg me to talk about. But it it is so important that we understand what is going on legally because there, there's there's conversations going on in Washington all the time that we're not really privy to that really could have very major effects on the way we do business. And this thing, this this thing that uh, I think it was being called the Rise Act, was one of those examples that man, if that had just gone through the way it was, things things would have been very different for us. So, what was all the what was all the angst about? Well, you know, and that is you know, kind of what you talked a little bit earlier, you know, about participating in democracy and and um, having your voice heard is, is super important. It's, it's not just uh, you know just kind of something you say. You really do have to participate in the process, and you know. I, the RISE Act is not, um, without getting into details of kind of how bills and legislation works its way through, it, it was what was called a discussion draft. And so a discussion draft is something that is put out, uh, kind of floated out to say, okay, what do you think about some of these ideas? So it wasn't something that was, you know, up for a vote or in the committee, but it was, um, uh, it was, a, it was a, a host of things that were proposed um, from the ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee is a fellow out of Oregon, and he uh, put all these ideas out there and asked, you know, kind of wanted to float them up there and get comments on them. So, you know, I, I think that's important to, to, to note that it, was, it wasn't an act, it wasn't a bill, uh, it was a discussion draft. And there were things in there that were, there's some really good things in that, uh, in kind of the draft that he proposed, uh, there's some, some good ideas. And then there are things that, you know, when we looked at kind of at face value would have ramifications on on our industry and, and also real estate investors and small business owners. So, you know, but I don't believe, um, you know, from spending the time there, it, it wasn't something that was necessarily intentional. Um, I think they just didn't it, it didn't understand the consequences and, and they wanted comment on that. So, you know, it, it's not uh, not something that's kind of uh, the ship has sailed. It's it's a process that we can be involved in and 
and help craft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very, very important point that um, being involved right down to the level of you can always call your congressman or senator's office when you hear something like this and just say, look, I am one of your constituents. And I heard about this thing, and, and and it is not good, and let me explain to you why. Because you and I had a discussion that the folks up in Washington, they don't understand why people have self-directed IRAs instead of 401. They don't understand that a lot of us are self-employed, right? We don't have 401ks. Mm-hmm. We don't have matching contributions. One of the ways that we set ourselves up for future wealth is we we there's certain kinds of real estate deals that we can do using our self-directed IRAs. And one of the things that I think really caught people's attention in that draft language was uh, there was a, there was something in there that said IRAs would be required to buy their assets at fair market value. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's, that's not what we do as real estate people. We like to buy distressed properties cheap. We don't like to buy stuff at fair market value. That's right. Well, and, and again, that, that too is, you know, what the, the language in that bill was really trying to address was this idea of um, people having really mega, mega IRAs, what they were calling them, you know, 100 million, 200. I mean, there's one example of a fellow. And these are, these are the outliers. And that's, that's part of the challenge, too, is that, you know, when we have these discussions and say, hey, folks, you're, you're looking at the 0.001 percent, you know. In our world that we know, and you know, at our firm, we work with many, many real estate investors. That's that's kind of what we focus on. You know, they don't. It's not. We're talk, talking about hundred million dollar. You know, people buying startup companies that turn into you know Yelp and Facebook, and that was the one <laughs> example that I think that this was really aimed at. Mm-hmm. So by by trying to you know uh, fix that problem or address that issue or concern. You know, they're to your point, Vina. They're, you know, they're not understanding contextually what that means if you're a real estate investor and you want to go buy a distressed property and fix it up and 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 uh, and realize a profit, which is number one. Number two, and this is kind of the really important thing from a public policy standpoint, is that you're putting capital at risk, you're improving neighborhoods, and you're uh, creating affordable housing, and you're creating jobs. So that's the other part of the equation from our area in the real estate world that we need to sit down and talk to them and explain to them, hey, there's tremendous benefit here, and you didn't mean to, you know, when you put this verbiage in here and fair market value, you probably didn't understand what the ramifications or how that would be interpreted. So as part of that dialogue and being able to to talk with them um, in the discussion draft format, so that's absolutely, you know, the way we're looking at it right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Again, since that time, there has been a presidential election. The fellow from Oregon that was putting this out there, I I understand, was a a Democrat. We now have a Republican Congress and Senate and president. Where are we with this draft? Does it have any legs? Is it ever going to turn into an actual bill? Well, you know, the, 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 because the, 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 the committee chair of the Senate Finance Committee is a fellow named Senator Orrin Hatch out of Utah, you know, he decides the agenda. And so I, I don't know what the agenda will be. You know, and I, I, I'm not sure whether, um, you know, we're monitoring this. There's a lot of things kind of 
changing every day just because of the election and um but you know we we have very good contacts through our trade association and i've spent a lot of time there that we know you know whether things are coming up or or where they're at so right now you know it's, it is sort of in a comment period and um and as far as the discussion draft whether senator hatch will say hey we want to bring this up or not i don't know but you know the idea is that this is a process and the process is if you can come in and explain the value and what was proposed how that will affect the value that real estate investors and self-directed IRAs and the capital that's brought into the country. You know, we just started being at Equity Trust, started compiling numbers and stories. And in the last nine months, our clients have put $800 million of capital into the U.S. economy. And that's into small businesses and that's into real estate deals. So all the things that whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you want. You want small businesses to grow. You want jobs to be created. You want neighborhoods to be revitalized, and you want to provide affordable housing. So that's what that's what we're talking about here. So it's part of an education process to say, look at all the values here. Let's address your concerns, and also let's look at the things that are really good in that Rise Act. There were um, there were some proposals to uh, take away required minimum distributions for folks who had less than a hundred thousand dollars in their IRA, which is great. You know, there was a there's a, a something that was put forward too about being able to contribute. Uh, to a traditional IRA past 70 and a half, where now you can't, and in the Roth IRA you can. So there are a lot of good common sense things that were in that bill that we can build on and find uh, common ground. And then it's just a matter of let's educate them and talk about the, the bigger value that we provide, and especially the real estate investor community, talk about that as well. And then we can see, hey, there's, there's a ton of common ground there that we all want. So it's part of that education process to, to get involved, and I, I'm very confident that they'll be able to see that that value, uh, you know, when we all come together. Uh huh. Now I know, Rich, you personally have been up there, kind of, you know, fighting the fight. Which, you know, thank you. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's not it's not always it's not always fun for us, you know, non political types to spend a bunch of time in 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 dc trying to speak that language so we do we do appreciate your efforts on our behalf uh in that in that way you guys are actually sort of trying to turn this into into a real positive and and even perhaps add some things in your in your perfect world in your wish list uh when this legislation would come to the floor you you've already mentioned that you'd love to see contributions be able to make be made past 70 and a half which seems i mean that seems like a very um timely thing because i believe wasn't the original ira legislation passed in the early early mid to mid 70s that's right mm-hmm. and and lifespans have just gotten longer i mean our our our, our 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 current president or our president-elect is 70 and he's starting a new career. So <laughs> this idea that, that, you know, you're only going to live to be 72 years old or w- whatever is is kind of a, you know, it's it's probably time. It's probably time to extend that. What else are you guys working on that you'd sort of like to see happen that, that folks should be aware of when they're talking to their congressmen? Well, you know, what we're, we're putting together right now is a, is a coalition. And we're, you know, I'd, I'd love to come back and, and talk about once we're ready to launch it because we're, we're going to have a whole site, and we're going to we're going to bring everyone into the tent. And what we're going to try to do, uh, not try, we will do, 
is get lots of great ideas, especially from the real estate investor community, is saying, so there's really two things. There's ideas on how to, how to really help uh, create more affordable housing, create jobs, and we also want to help uh, the Americans' uh, veterans. Uh, so those are kind of the three things we're trying to brainstorm how we can incentivize folks to, to help them with retirement capital investments. So that's number one. And number two, which would be really helpful, and uh, we definitely want to come back and talk about this, is that you know, we're going to launch, launch a program where we want to highlight all the amazing things that real estate investors in particular, we're already starting to do them from, uh, from uh, our folks who are at Equity Trust. We've got some amazing stories about what they're doing beyond just getting a great return on their investment. You know, we've got stories of, uh, people working in Hurricane Katrina, the Go Zone, um, building duplexes for vets coming back with po- post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, financing churches—all these things that are just really amazing stories that people are not only getting the great rate of return, but they're having an impact in their community. So that's going to be part of a campaign that we're going to be launching very soon. That we're excited about because what we're going to be able to do is put the mirror. Um, out there in front of the, the, especially the real estate investor community, and say, guys, look at all the great things you're doing. You might not even know this, but when you when you go and rehab a piece of property, I mean, think about it. You're hiring a drywaller. You're working with a realtor. You're you're creating an ecosystem there of jobs. So here's what these entrepreneurs are doing with their capital, and they're helping the economy. So that's part of a campaign that we're going to launch very soon, and I would love to come back, Bina and talk about that when we have the site ready and all the particulars to get those great stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very, uh, um, very doable. And another thing that's probably overdue. Uh, that's, that's another, you know, I don't know that listeners truly understand how disconnected their local and state and national elected officials are from what they do. My experience, my experience with the politicians is they tend to know two kinds of people. They know the big owners, right? They know the apartment owners and they know the builders. They know the, the people who have giant lobbies in Washington and, you know, have millions and millions and millions of dollars to spend on communicating with the legislators. And then they know the bad guys. They know that they know the people in their own communities who are, you know, the, the, the 1% of our, of our business, like there is in 1% of every business who do not do what they're supposed to do and take advantage of people and have bad housing and, and things like that. They don't know us. They don't know the typical real life real estate listener who is, who is not using grant money, not using tax benefits, not using government money to buy and renovate and provide housing and doing it, you know, in an educated and ethical way. And just that sort of process of letting letting the uh, elected elected officials know that not only are we here, but there are more of us than there are giant owners or bad guys. So communicating Absolutely. that message at every opportunity to every city council person you run into, to every state senator, every you know county commissioner, everyone uh, is is a, a mantle that really every real estate investor ought to take on. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we want to highlight that 99% that are doing things the right way that are ethical, that are helping their communities out and providing a great service so that it really is, we want to launch a grassroots campaign 
that actually is highlighting, you know, the people on the ground, what they're doing. And so that's what it's going to be all about. It's not going to be, you know, a mega, you know, uh, developer and like that. It's it's the regular folks out there doing the day-to-day great deals, making great profits, but also impacting their community. So that's what we want to highlight in this campaign and talk about the impact. Like I said, we didn't realize it when we did it internally because we just never looked at it at, you know, that way. We said, gosh, in nine months, in, in, we put close to $900 million into the U.S. economy. I mean, in, in, you know, we created 20,000 jobs from that capital being placed in that we took a conservative number and looked at it. It, what, when you multiply it out with the ecosystems that are created, I mean, it's a tremendous value. So that's really, we want uh, the real estate investor community to, to have pride in itself and what it's doing for the country, as well as, you know, getting, achieving financial independence, which is, you know, is, you know, the most important when you start out, that's what you're thinking about. But start to think about the bigger picture, too, um, because they're not mutually exclusive. You can do great uh, financially, and you can also make a huge impact in the community. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. And uh, I'm in. Uh, I think most real life real estate listeners could, you know, take 20 minutes out of their lives and lives and write down a story of a time that they rehabbed a property or took a property that was in the hands of a person who couldn't handle it financially or emotionally and put it into the hands of somebody who renovated and made it into good housing. I think we all we all have those stories. We all know those stories. We just don't tell them. So Thank you for giving us the opportunity to tell them, and we will keep Real Life Real Estate listeners abreast of uh, what the next step is when you guys are ready to uh, put this thing together and, and roll it out to our elected officials. We will have you back on the show for sure, Rich. I would love it. and absolutely be very excited about that. All right, that's Rich Desich from Equity Trust Company with some good news about our political and legislative world for our Thanksgiving edition of Real Life Real Estate Investing. We will be back next week for more, with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.